Hello and welcome once again to episode 19 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Fernando. Hello, hello. Hey, hey. Ben. And Spencer. Hello. So before we get into our main topic, we wanted to try something a bit different. As we all know, the App Store itself doesn't do much to continuously surface indie app developers uh, so they can continue doing what they really love. Uh, and unfortunately, you if you ever publish an app in the App Store, you know more than anyone. It just kind of sits there. Uh, so we figured since we talk about nothing other than development for the most part uh, and the process around it, uh, we thought we could help the community in a, this little small way that we can by shining a spotlight on indie developers far and wide. Uh, after all, it's really thanks to them that our favorite platform is as amazing as it is because indie developers are the, really the ones that are pushing it forward uh, much more than Apple or any company that has a platform really can. Uh, so without further ado, Fernando, care to take it away? Yeah, of course. Uh... So I, I think I want to clarify, first of all, we're doing this for the community. Like this is not a paid ad in any way. So mm -hmm. if, if I do sound a little bit excited, it's because I'm really excited about showcasing indie devs, not because I'm being paid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having, having said that, um, our first app in this showcase is, is going to be uh, Opus One. It's a daily planner app that exists both on macOS and iOS. Um, this app is really is really close to my heart because it's uh, made by a Mexican developer uh, here in Monterrey, Mexico, and uh, he actually uh, he and I met a few years ago at WWDC, I think sixteen, and he told me I was very impressed that he was both an indie developer and a Mac developer first. So the app was actually a, the app is actually a daily planner app that started out in macOS. Um, it has like really interesting, uh, a really interesting paradigm where you have like different sections where you can create like goals for like your physical health, your mental health, your body and spiritual health, or you can use like uh, the Eisenhower matrix, like the whole uh, important or urgent, important and urgent things like that. Um, and I think it's a really really cool thing because. Uh, Having I, he and he and I have been chatting for a few years, and he's been telling me of, of this whole uh, indie experience where you go, you have upgrades. The upgrades sometimes don't like pay for <laughs> for food, and you go through the subscriptions, things like that. So there's really a lot of things that had to like converge for this experience to happen, and so I think this is a great first app that that uh, that we should be showcasing. Um, so if you if you're interested in knowing more about the daily planner, please, uh, we'll include a link here in in the description or the tweet, whatever, and just go and try it out. We also have a few um, a few promo codes that will be we will be distributing in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but in general, I want to thank Opus One for giving us uh, giving us a, a shout out and uh, letting us showcase their app. And that's it. Awesome. Awesome. So are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. So our list is long at this point, uh, but please reach out to us on Twitter at Code Completion so we can spotlight your app too. We really want to get through as many as we can because otherwise, what's the point of using the little audience and the community that we've built if not to like propagate all the awesome 
apps that we are all making, right? So um, on the topic of developing apps, uh, one thing that we all as developers kind of use a lot is Git. Uh, and GitHub, the hub of all the Gits, uh, has a bunch of announcements uh, that they've made this past week. Uh, so we figured we can probably talk about uh, some of those announcements, how they impact iOS developers, uh, and more about open source software in general and how you can make your own open source software if you really wanted to. So uh, of the announcements, the most important one is GitHub now has dark mode support. Absolutely, 100%. Finally. It will no longer blind you. <laughs> yes. So, you know, uh, it it was actually to the point where most everything I used did have a dark mode. And then I downloaded, I think it's Cascadia, where it'll actually alter the CSS of web pages that you specifically say so I could have GitHub in dark mode. So personally, <laughs> I'm like legitimately stoked about this change, even though it's like, you know, relatively small and, and, you know, not really that meaningful. It's meaningful is to it, me in my heart. Is so it automatic or is it the kind of thing where you just turn it on or turn it off yourself, like in the settings? Yeah, it would be auto, uh, the, like the new actual yeah. GitHub one. Yeah. It's just a, a little like UI switch looking was, thing. And am you just I turn wrong it on or is it true it that on, at least on Mac OS, that there is some kind of signal that a develop, that a browser can, capture to know that it's sort of the computer's in dark mode and therefore the website should be in dark mode as well i okay. thought there was I'm i think sure there is that. yeah it, it can it can definitely be made automatic if you put the effort into it um i don't think it's that much effort either um it's mostly oh, yeah it's a css query right media query. it looks like um github has it it says light dark or default nice. to system so looks like it's it's even got that awesome. implemented yeah and and their button is really cool. If you haven't seen it, you flip it on, and there's like a little neon yeah. sign that just flickers on, uh, which is yeah. super super That's neat cool. and such a nice little detail uh, to add to the experience. Um, so aside from the frivolous uh, but <laughs> legitimately useful uh, changes, uh, there are a few more uh, improvements. Um, if you didn't know, you as a GitHub user can go ahead and sponsor other projects mm -hmm. uh, to kind of keep them afloat uh, and keep them going. Um, and now uh, companies can go ahead and sponsor other projects, which uh, I'm sure was hotly requested because companies don't like just one figurehead donating money on their behalf. Uh, they kind of want it under their name for tax purposes more than anything. Um, so I think that's going to be a welcome change on both sides, um, especially since companies can now blackmail their favorite projects into implementing the features that they want. Um, and favorite projects <laughs> can be supported, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's right. It's it's a feature that's been around for a little while, right? But it's it's pretty cool that um, that you're just like in a bunch of other um, industries and other areas where content creators, right, uh, are now able to kind of take more control over their uh, their relationship with their audience and be able to actually interact more directly. So Patreon was kind of one of the first companies to sort of help facilitate that, and then. Uh, you know, big content aggregators didn't want to sort of be left out of that. So, you know, YouTube now has, I don't think it's super popular yet, but they have that kind of like direct subscription thing. The memberships. Um, of course, yeah. uh, Twitch is famous for that kind of thing. So it's cool that in addition to those sort of more everyday kind of content creation things, so things like video and photos and stuff like that and music, 
um, that now there's a way for developers to sort of similarly be able to have that direct relationship with maybe not their audience or their fans because it's kind of a little bit of a different situation. But, it, you know, certainly if there's software that you either enjoy using or if it's software that you integrate into your own apps or whatever, it's pretty cool that we can now, um, you know, support people directly. I think I want to say Paul Hudson has has sort of dabbled a little bit with the GitHub thing. I'm not sure. I know he has like memberships and stuff. And I think I remember him tweeting about how he was also putting up some of his projects on GitHub and, you know, offering kind of gently uh, suggesting or asking people to, to help support that work. Cause that's, you know, it's his everyday job, right. Is, is building materials for all of us to, to learn iOS better. So pretty cool that that's now just one more way for us to be able to support people like that. I know the vapor, the vapor project actually makes use mm -hmm. of it. Um, and Tanner, the previous head developer of it, um, was supported full time, at least for mm -hmm. a good amount yes. of time, uh, off of this one feature. So. Uh, I think it's it's really welcome that it's coming for companies too. And at this moment, go for it. Go go. No, I was gonna make a stupid joke. So <laughs> please, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but the the audience will thank me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really cool that you get you get the opportunity that if your software is really useful, you could actually make a living out of it, uh, like just from donations, like supporting yourself mm -hmm. full time just by doing like. An open source project or something that's really cool and useful to other people, uh, like like Ben said, you could do that via Patreon or other sketchy, well, not sketchy but very ancillary yeah. websites. The fact that you can do it now by like straight up from GitHub, that's so so amazing, especially for companies. Yeah, for me, it's like. Uh I've talked about this before, but I love like server side Swift and that's one of my kind of big, uh, most favorite open source, uh, kind of things right now, uh, since Swift did go open source and, you know, at kind of the start there, there were, I don't know, maybe four or five different kind of server side Swift, uh, frameworks that people had developed and it slowly started dwindling until it was Kutura and, and Vapor. And then IBM was kind of supporting Couture and they just axed it. And it was like, okay, well, now we have one. And it's to the point now where I'm like, I would love to sponsor Vapor, even if it's $5 a month, if that helps the project continue. Because one, I love using it. But two, it's it's the only thing that's around. It feels like a really you know cool part that uh, Swift could really develop into and actually break into web development in some form or another. I don't want to see that, you know, kind of go away. And so for me, it's like, that's the very least I can do to kind of give back where if it does support, you know, uh, Tanner or whoever it is, uh, I think now Tanner's actually moved it off of like mm -hmm. supporting him directly. And now it just goes to the Vapor project, which I don't care either way. Um, but whoever, you know, can live off of that and dedicate more time to working on that project then that's great with me. So I think the ability to do that, like like Fernando said, directly in GitHub, not in Patreon, just makes more sense. And it's it's kind of a cool thing to do. So uh, you should definitely consider if you are able to, you know, uh, support whatever open source project it is, uh, that would be a huge help to them. And maybe it'll, you know, keep that software around uh, if otherwise it, it couldn't. So in addition to those, uh, you know, certainly uh, sponsorships I think is great and, and dark mode just from like, a, you know, your own personal sanity of being able to use GitHub at night without it burning your retinas. Um, it's pretty cool. They've added a couple other things like auto merging pull requests. 
So that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, are there rules around how a PR would get merged? I guess as soon as it gets approved or, or I didn't, I didn't read into it. So, so it's, I'm not sure. it, it's as soon as all the status checks have been yeah. met. So status check can be, uh, it's been approved by uh, one of the code owners of that particular part of the project, or it's gone through the CI tests and oh, cool. the required nice. ones. Um, so this is actually really useful for, um, uh, this is actually really useful for smaller mm-hmm. projects who don't necessarily have someone that's constantly yeah. there uh, to kind of maintain it. Um, if all you can do is get get it passing the CI checks and you have one person that looked yeah. at it uh, and then it gets merged whenever the other person that wrote it is kind of happy with it, um, that's, that's quite beneficial. Um, and it kind of folds in too because uh, up until now, if you write a pull request for another project, it's not you that merges it. It's them whenever they want. And that could be whenever you're ready or whenever uh, you may not have been ready. Like you might have forgotten one last thing, uh, but then they're like, hey, looks good to go. And they merge it and your last thing is kind of forgotten at that point. Um, so this kind of gives you the control to have it be merged automatically when you think it's ready. So you would check when you create that PR, uh, automatically merge this and that in, that indicates your intent that you are done with it. You don't have anything else to add. Very cool. What what I like about this is that it it also probably uh, helps with the awkward phase of pull requests, where you're like in the same company, you both can merge the request, and you finish the changes or you finish reviewing, and it's like, should I merge it? <laughs> but I'm not the yeah. author, or I'm mm-hmm. the author. Should I like they said it was okay, but like was that okay? Can I merge mm-hmm. it or? So this this should simplify yep. that by a lot. Yeah. Like okay. Boom. Yeah, I remember. Uh, sorry, no, no, I remember no. asking my boss that. Like my first couple pull requests, I was like, uh, "So who does this?" Like I, thanks for approving it, but do I merge? Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's awkward, and yeah, I mean it, it would save time and just mental overhead. So I think that's cool. Is it something that is? Um, is it like an enterprise only feature, or is that something that everyone can do? Everyone can do. So it's a check mark cool. when you create your PR, basically. Oh. Um, so it, now you can either make a draft PR, a regular PR, or an auto-merging PR, um, at least indicating your intent. So for that exact reason, I always tell people on my teams, go ahead and whoever wrote the PR is the one to merge it. Everyone else's responsibility is to review it. And up at that point, you can either take like take the review to heart and change every change. You can make issues for the things that you don't have time for. And then just merge it right then and there. Ultimately, you're the author. You know when it's good to merge or not. Um, and it's on you to merge it on a timely basis because it's eventually going to get stale and you're going to need to fix it up just to keep up with everything else. So getting that out of the way is often a, a good discussion to have early on because then there's no ambiguity anymore. The person who writes the PR is the one who merges it. And if they don't merge it, their work doesn't get included. Uh, so they kind of need to keep up with Makes that. Makes sense. Um, and that leads into another feature that they kind of added, discussions, where you can actually talk about who's merging what. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> it's it's, it's, think of that. it like, yeah, <laughs> just for that. So who's merging this? Um, so think of it like a Slack that's built into GitHub directly. And I think it's a little more like a forum than a Slack, but specific to the repo, meaning you can go ahead and start a discussion there for sometimes you don't know if something is an issue or not, or maybe you just have a question. And opening an issue for a question is a little awkward sometimes Mm -hmm. because it's not an actual problem. It might be a problem, but you don't really know yet. Um, It's kind of like submitting a bug report to Apple when you just need help. 
using an API. And sometimes that's all you can do because there's no other uh, input into their uh, black box of the system. Uh, so discussions give this ability to any repo. Um, and you can, I don't know if it's like a pro feature or not. It's, the line is kind of fuzzy nowadays. Uh, but anyone could just turn on, not anyone, anyone who owns a repo can turn on discussions for the repo. Uh, and that allows people to participate uh, indirectly um, to ask questions, to see if something is a bug, to see how best to use it, or to talk about fun, more fun things that are kind of side related to the project. So I guess similar to like the issues feature, except that that was really kind of designed specifically for like, I have a problem, right? And there can be discussion mm -hmm. in that issue, but, but uh, it's limited to that. Whereas this could really be kind of anything around, you know, scheduling of when we're going to do a release or, you know, any kind of sort of meta discussion about the repository itself. And I think probably in particular for people, you know, for open source projects or for, for distributed teams who maybe in particular, like don't aren't part of an organization where they already have this kind of communication ability. Like they don't already have a Slack or something. I'm kind of thinking like classically, mm -hmm. like you know, if this existed when Vapor began, maybe maybe Vapor wouldn't have created their uh, is it Discord they use? I think um, they would have just yep. used this instead yeah, because exactly it's, it's all just built in. Um, so like that kind of use case, I feel mm -hmm. like might be uh, particularly interesting for for people kind of in that scenario. On, on the other hand, what what I find interesting about all this is that you you I, I keep seeing it everywhere where products start becoming like they start absorbing features that are not essential to the service and they start becoming bloated and then they start competing with other companies that they shouldn't be competing. So I don't know how <laughs> I feel about this. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. I get I get that like the show must go on. There's new features to build. But it's like I feel it's a little bit weird when there's I feel there's other things that they could have done that would have been way more impactful. Like implementing stories. Mm -hmm. Get I'm sure you guys have <laughs> I was just gonna say that. You beat me. <laughs> Someone did really? build that. That's, I don't that's know if, oh if you've gosh. seen it. Uh, but you could go ahead and take a quick screen recording of your code and like VS code and share it to your no. story and then you can go ahead and see other GitHub users do the same. I think it's, nice. is it LinkedIn so far that's been like the sort of most ridiculous company to implement stories, I want to say? I mean, Twitter did as well, which... Probably. I don't... Twitter... Yeah. What do you guys think of Twitter stories? That's so is weird it, with Twitter. Do you like it? Do you think it's just an annoying... I mostly think it's just an annoying like, bar of things I can't I use TweetBot, so I don't even know yeah. what you're talking about. Nice. <laughs> yeah, same here. Can I, like, I use the website, but I don't even know where these mythical stories are. I don't so, think they've implemented. I've heard. I've heard a lot of yet. I want to say, so it's just an app thing, which it makes it even stranger that it's like only in the Twitter app rather than even in their other official products. I agree. Maybe and this the name, is very. The name didn't help, yeah. right? Is it like fleets? Yeah, if they have fleets. That's what they're yeah. calling them. Fleets yeah. feathers. feathers. <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, it's maybe like, this is anti-millennial of me, but it's just. I think stories are dumb. It's like you're already on a social network. Just post like a normal post. Like, and the f I don't know. The funny thing I don't, is like in general, I Instagram just don't get them. seems to be mostly focused on video of yourself, right? You're, it's a selfie video where you're – it's a vlog basically, like a short – probably like a short vlog yeah. that you're posting. Whereas I think almost all of the fleets that I've looked at are almost always like static images with captions, captions. and stuff on top of it. So it's like – can't you just make that a tweet? I don't know. Anyway, this exactly. is a diversion. It's so like, dumb. Yeah, it's a I don't weird know. Thing. 
I'll, I'll say it depends on, on who you follow on Instagram. The people I follow on Instagram don't do a lot of vlogging. They do the caption oh, really? image okay. thing. So maybe yeah. maybe that's just mm. like a, uh, an artifact of that medium or like it's just become a popular way to use that particular venue. And so yeah. wherever stories appear, that's how they do them because everybody's like, well, that's how I do it on Snapchat and on Instagram and wherever. I yeah, guess. I think it's just everyone being like, oh, let's also be right. Snapchat. Yes. The, the one the thing ultimate. I'll say in defense of stories is that uh, the use case, at least for me, is, hey, I want to share this thing with the world, but I don't want to have it in my profile. Yeah. So Forever. it just... No. Yeah. Does it do Instagram like, stories share... um, expire as well? Or like they go away? I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they will stay in your, pro, in your phone profile, like mm. privately. Um but afterward, after 24 hours, they just expire unless you pin them Got in some way. The, the ultimate irony is YouTube actually fully supported stuff like this a good 10 years ago. Uh, but then because of their ad revenue model, they said, oh, anything under 30 mm. seconds is not going to be uh, monetized in any way. So everyone kind of just abandoned that. And as a side effect, all the independent animators who would hand draw like little animations... They all had to leave YouTube because all of a sudden none of their work got monetized in any right. way. Uh, because oh. animating something significantly longer than thirty minutes as, or thirty seconds, as you can imagine, is a huge amount of work. Uh, so that was something that really killed that little like sub area of the internet, um, like, just for that like, silly reason. Yeah, like the films in five seconds. Mm-hmm. I remember them being like super popular, well, at least in, in my circles, and then they just disappeared. I don't know why, but no, well, now I know why. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. They fleeted away. They fleeted. Oh, so it's probably good then that GitHub the didn't, you know. didn't create stories and instead did discussions. I mean, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, that I think you know, certainly, cert- yeah. Oh boy, now we put this in the universe. Now it's going to happen. Um, but, but I think <laughs> I think uh, it's a good thing. Uh, that they didn't do that and they did this instead. Mm-hmm. This is definitely more useful, but I I do sort of agree with you in general, Fernando, about the sentiment of like, not every product has to be everything to everyone. It, you can be really good at what you do and not have to necessarily feature creep your way into this sort of hulking behemoth. I also would argue that in some ways GitHub has already done that. So it's like kind of it's kind of too yeah, late. No, we're way past the point. <laughs> but, I agree. But uh, <laughs> but I think it'll be useful, and, and in particular if if it if it allows people to not have to always spin up like a Discord or, or a Slack to get something done, then yeah. that seems worthwhile. So on the topic of Fleetware, uh, have any of you uh, made your own open source uh, projects that you kind of uh, let disappear magically after twenty four hours? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in terms of actual, actually setting up an open source repo and, uh, making any small little community around it and have any of you, uh, kind of done that before. I have, I do, I have had before software or like components or whatever on my GitHub that are open, right. That are public and that anyone can use. Um, I've never gone to the sort of the trouble of like turning that into like sort of an officially open source project that is then. You try and get a community around it, but I, I have, I have um, done stuff where I've gotten like PRs occasionally and stuff for things that I have posted. Like, hey, I, I use this and I want to help you improve it or whatever. Um, related to the auto merging thing, I wanted to say like, there's, I mean, I, I haven't contributed a ton to open source, but I have a few times, and almost universally, my PR just sits 
forever, uh, unapproved and unlooked at. Um, so something that is pretty cool about the auto merge thing is like, if more open source communities would support that, I feel like they could get better quality or they could get their software improved faster, um, by allowing things like that so that you, you know, especially if it's an, uh, uh, something that isn't monitored continuously, like I'm sure most of the ones that I contributed to were, you know, I mean, I get it. Like I'm not, I'm not blaming them for not looking at it. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just, uh, yeah. nonetheless, I fixed something that was definitely broken and then the PR just kind of sits there forever and doesn't go anywhere. Uh, so it's cool that they, that they have that now as a feature. Hopefully that will help in particular those smaller, I guess that would require you to have like some tests and some, maybe some CI stuff set up and you have to do yeah, more work ahead of time. To get it, get it yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, that would, that's still pretty cool. The the biggest um, the biggest project that I have open sourced has thirty six stars and seven forks. I I actually uh, that's, that's not bad. Good. But it's just like you said. I have eight open issues. That the the first one was opened in November two twenty fourteen. Oh wow! And I just realized that. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. I I am the the, you are, the one you hate. Maybe maybe <laughs> I am the evil that you fight. You're the guy. All right. Uh, now I know. Unfortunate. But yeah. Well, this will be for now's last episode. Uh, and, and enjoy it while I can. Uh, you're out, dude. All right, guys. It was a pleasure. I'll see you. <laughs> um, as far as my my own stuff goes, um, one thing I kind of open sourced was uh, a... Um, a repo to help uh, make like OAuth two uh, easier for students in Lambda school, specifically with Okta, because I think Okta does it a little bit differently. Uh, so I kind of, I mean, it's like my own personal repo. Um, and then I have one more that um, I'm kind of working on, where uh, I I bought this uh, amp for a home speaker system, like throughout your house, and uh, I haven't even set it up yet, even though I just moved. Um, but it, I, I kind of took uh, someone was using, I think someone wrote it, kind of the original controller using uh, a serial port uh, just with JavaScript or something. And they kind of made a, um, you know, a home server to be able to just make rest uh, calls to it. And so I'm making a vapor version because I don't more, more than anything because I want to. Um, so I've got that. And, you know, it's it's really just me. But. Once it's finished, I'll, you know, kind of say it. The problem here is it's like for two very specific amplifiers, and that's all it's good for because those codes are just only good for those. Uh, so it's not going to be, you know, terribly useful, but they're like that guy's original repo had, you know, I don't know, a, f a few stars and everything. So um, it might as well make it open source. Yeah. It's not, you know, something that I would even try to monetize because it's just so uh, esoteric that it wouldn't make sense at all anyway so and f for myself uh, a lot of my projects that i did open source were kind of coming from the point of view when i was still doing a lot of indie development and i'm like hey this could be useful for more than one of my projects so i might as well just make it open source for everyone um and like i get i get the feeling that a lot of people have when they do open source stuff that it's it becomes a chore to kind of keep up with because everyone kind of wants to drag it in a different direction uh, and you may not want to bring it in that direction. Um, so like, I, I get that. I understand where that comes from. Uh, but at the same time, 
Like if you have something that you do want to open source, you can totally turn off issues. You can turn off the new discussion thing. You don't even have to turn it on um, such that it's just there. Uh, and if someone can find a use for it, they can go ahead and find a use for it. But otherwise, you're really not trying to build a community around uh, the little project that you've put together. Um, looking back at my projects, uh, I have one open. It, the newest file was last modified like seven years ago. So yeah. these these have definitely not been uh, heavily maintained over the year. They they still use like manual reference counting in Objective C uh, to give you some context. Um, so really old code there. Uh, so like it's part of the Arctic Vault now, which is nice. cool. Uh, cool. If you don't nice. know, that's that's a GitHub feature where they will store uh, all code that's on GitHub. Uh, if as long as you didn't uncheck a checkbox, I think you have to uncheck it, correct? Or do you I have believe to it's it? opt out? Yeah, so you um, you're, public, I think you have you're to automatically opt it, in yeah. unless you say otherwise. So uh, what they do is they go ahead and put that on archival medium and put it in the Arctic, uh, so that way future generations can learn from our bad code, um, and hopefully they can learn how not to write code like we did. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's useful for from a historical context. I mean, a lot of projects are more complete than whatever we wrote, um, and it's a shame to potentially lose them through just history moving forward, even though we can perfectly emulate computers from that era. Uh, so having that code more or less permanently available, I think that's a good thing uh, in the long run. Yeah, agreed. Uh, any other ideas about open source that anyone wants to share no i think uh i'll just echo that the, the same i'll just repeat myself but really like having the opportunity <laughs> having the opportunity to to be like like you said dimitri i'm just working on something i think this is cool i'm not gonna make anything out of it but i think this is cool posting it and then having someone give you like five dollars a month for it just because they think like, wow, this is really cool and useful, and thank you for for as a thank you for doing it. I think that's amazing, and that's something yeah. that developers five ten years ago, like I would never have thought that would have been possible. But like for anyone, you needed to be either like huge project or something like that. And uh, when you said like YouTube subscriptions, I'm actually subscribed to one YouTube channel because I really like the guys and they're like they're a, a pair of uh, Smash. Uh, how can I say this? Like researchers <laughs> so they put out videos like oh nice. these frames and things like that and it's like i really love that I, I i'm i'm jealous of it so i want to support them and i send them five dollars five bucks a month i could see myself doing that for someone who's coding anything like something interesting or fun yeah yeah definitely and we talked a bit about how like setting up testing and all that is so arduous Nowadays, it's much less so. Like, you can very quickly set up tests for your Swift package if you're working on a Swift project. Uh, testing is really easy to kind of get done. It's part of the default template. Uh, you just need to write the test. Uh, and in fact, if you are writing uh, a simpler um, a simpler project, you oftentimes don't have a UI or anything to use it with. So those tests, those are your way of making sure that it works. So they don't need to be like... Uh, tests that have 100% coverage or anything like that, just any bare minimum uh, that you can get going, you can totally have in your project. And setting up GitHub Actions, I've been doing this more and more lately. It's a bit of a learning curve because if you don't know anything about it, then it's like, what on earth am I doing here? Uh, but once you do kind of uh, start understanding like what YAML is and how that, uh, how you can go ahead and specify 
how your project should be built, it's really easy to just set it up once and then forget about it from that point forward. And all your PRs, they get little check marks on them uh, because they're all being continuously integrated uh, and tested at every step of the way. And it makes it feel good to add more tests because then you're like, I am doubling up on my testing. I'm going to get more check marks. And it, it's a it's a good feeling. Yeah, never a bad thing for sure. So this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your Mac. It's completely text-based, so you can type in English what you want, 20 minutes or 5 p.m., hit enter, and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English text to create, updates, and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown, even while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben? So this week, we've got an Objective-C question. It says, Swift prevents the situation from occurring through a strict validation of init methods. But in Objective-C, you are expected to do this manually by calling the superclass's initializer and saving the result inside of self in case it changed. What Apple-provided class can you subclass that won't be initialized correctly unless you use self equals super init as a method call in the designated initializer? If you know the answer to this, please give us a, a, a tweet and use the complete the code hashtag. And if you get it right, we will shout you out next week's episode. Thank you, Ben. And if you think you know the answer to this week's complete the code, uh, do reach out because special for this week only, uh, we have a promo code for Opus One to give out to that special winner. Uh, so if you have the right answer and you tweet at us before anyone else tweets at us, uh, the correct answer, uh, then that promo code is yours. So with that all out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, today, I have four statements once again, and there is a theme. It's all about Thunderbolt. Oh. So we have four statements uh, for today. Uh, let's go through them. So statement number one. USB 4 consolidates various USB transfer modes introduced over the years by basing itself on the Thunderbolt 3 protocol through host support, though host support for tunneling existing Thunderbolt devices over a USB 4 port is optional. Much like Thunderbolt 3, demonstration versions of LightPeak use the modified USB port being run from a prototype Mac Pro logic board transmitting data over a 30-meter optical fiber cable. Statement number three, Thunderbolt 1, 2, and 3 can support up to six daisy-chained devices. However, devices that however devices that can make up more than one downstream Thunderbolt port available will require a Thunderbolt 4 compatible computer. And statement number four, the copper variation of LightPeak was co-developed by Apple and Intel, with Apple trademarking the term Thunderbolt, though the trademark was later transferred over to Intel. So I've been playing a lot, around a lot with Thunderbolt devices uh, over the past few weeks, and we'll probably talk about more that more in a future episode. Uh, but uh, that inspired all of this. So without further ado, uh, Fernando, why don't you take us away? No, I, I started last code completion. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no, he's just refusing. 
So now you'll start uh, we the should, next We should two. do this uh, alphabetically. So oh, uh, I see. I see oh. how it goes. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, they all sound plausible. Um, I do want to say that USB 4 is an effort to try and kind of consolidate some of this stuff because we had like USB 3.1A. Like there was all these like weird offshoots <laughs> and variants that were really confusing um, and like USB-C was the connector type for some of those, but then Thunderbolt shared the same connector type, but it weren't the same cable and it, it didn't have the same protocols. Very, very strange. So um, that I feel like this one is correct, uh, number one. Um, and the host support for tunneling using Thunderbolt devices over USB 4.4 is optional. Again, sounds reasonable, but... Uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna take that as fact and move on. Uh, so much like <laughs> pretty much is how much I always do this. Uh, much like Thunderbolt three, so Light Peak uses a modified USB port running. Uh, so again, this I, this sounds familiar. Like this is what they what it looked like. I mm-hmm. vaguely remember this what it looked like when they first showed it off. Um, so I'm gonna just again take that as true. One, two, and three can support six daisy chain devices. However, devices that make more than one downstream Thunderbolt port available will require a Thunderbolt 4 compatible computer. <laughs> so that sounds like that is just gibberishy enough that there could be, that could be mostly correct, but there could be some thing that Dimitri threw in there to, to, to be wrong, uh, which I feel like we accuse him more often of doing than he actually does. <laughs> Much more. But, yeah. but yeah, still, that's true. Uh, I feel like that it's just, there's just enough uh, com- sort of computery jargon in there to make it something be wrong. Um, I also feel so. I think it's probably going to be three because number four, uh, the copper version of Light Peak was developed by Apple and Intel with Apple trademarking the term Thunderbolt and then later transferring it to Intel. I I do remember things about how yeah they had to be careful about how they used the Thunderbolt term because it was owned by Intel, um, and so it, it also it seems a little strange that Apple would trademark it first and then and then transfer it to Intel, but. That also seems like that could be plausible. So I'm going to go with number three only because the other three seem right, and I'm very likely wrong. But but I'm that's how that's how I'm going. That's what I'm going with because I have no other thing to, to go off of. So just <laughs> three sounds the least correct. There we go. Okay, Fernando. Now that you're number two. No, but but my last name is. I don't mind Spencer's too far ahead <laughs> uh, we're going into sending uh, order yeah. now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, i agree with um, i think i agree with everything that ben said like number two and number four those i mean uh the specifics are going to to kill us if we're yeah. wrong but they sound mostly correct i remember them showing like on a modified logic board uh, I remember the, it being fiber mm-hmm. at first and then being um, copper. Uh, I also remember that whole, we can't call it Thunderbolt, but it is Thunderbolt. But <laughs> yeah, that that was strange. I wouldn't be surprised. I know they co-developed the whole standard, so I could see like, well, I trademark it, but then we get together and, well, well we were together, but we split up. So I get the trademark. And you get to keep using it. I don't know. Two and four probably sound right. Uh, number one, I'm a little bit confused because I have no idea what host support for tunneling means. So. 
I'm not going to clarify if you're waiting for that. <laughs> Who says I was waiting for that? Uh, awkward pause. <laughs> awkward pause. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree to the one or three. Uh, just to cover our bases. Uh, but if I if I lose to Ben, he's going to be... Like, I, I gloated <laughs> way too much last time. That's what happens, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Okay, double or nothing. I'm going to go with one. All right. Because uh, as I think host support probably doesn't exist. I, I don't even know if Thunderbolt exists, <clears throat> to be honest. No. <laughs> but yeah, number one. I'll, I'll stick with number one. Okay, Spencer? Wait, this isn't the same thing as the lightning port on your phone? <laughs> yes, no, no, that's it is. Lightning and thunder are different <laughs> things, you see? There's a oh, sound, yeah. and then but the plug the, is different. Ah! <laughs> Oh yeah, science and third grade. Uh, no, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I think like the only one I wasn't really sure about was number two, and Fernando kind of clarified that that he remembers that, so that's good. Uh, definitely remember, or I definitely know that four is true. Or I'm gonna sound really dumb if that's not true. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm fairly sure that Intel owns the trademark there now. Um, I'm gonna, I think, go with three as well, just because, uh, like, for me, I think, like, I can only remember Thunderbolt from Thunderbolt 2, so maybe, like, Thunderbolt 1 can't daisy chain six things together, or, um, you know, the downstream needs a Thunderbolt 4 compatible. Wait, Thunderbolt 4? There's not even Thunderbolt 4, is there? Not yet. Okay. Well, okay. I'll go with three. Uh... I mean, maybe, yeah. We'll go with three. I think that's the sound logic as you Final can answer. you can hope for in this game. Because, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. As soon as I heard Thunderbolt, I was like, okay, I got this. Now I'm like, yeah. mm, I don't yeah, got I'm this. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go with four. Or three, sorry. Three or four? Three. Okay. Uh, so before I go into these, uh, I did want to share one thing that I found was super cool about Thunderbolt. So uh, specifically to the USB 4 standard, uh, they are upgrading it in such a way where on the USB port, on the USB-C port, there are currently four lanes that are 10 gigabit per second each bi-directional, and that's how you get 40 gigabits per second um, on Thunderbolt 3. Uh, but on USB 4, what they're also enabling is to put all four of those lanes in a unidirectional uh, pathway, which means that you can drive displays at up to 80 gigabits per second, which is just like mind-blowing. Mm, um, insane. And in terms of the amount of data that's just going through that cable. Uh, so I thought that was really cool, but I can only limit myself to four things. So I figured I'd just share that snippet afterwards. That's cool. Uh, so without further ado, let's go through the ones that you kind of all agree on. And let's start with number four. So the copper variation of Light Peak. Uh, and if you don't know, Light Peak was the code word for um, Thunderbolt before Apple kind of announced it to the world as being Thunderbolt. Uh, was co-developed by Apple and Intel. And Apple did have the trademark for Thunderbolt. They obviously thought that was a better name than Lightpeak. Uh, and that trademark was later transferred to Intel because Intel owns uh, the rights to the Thunderbolt technology um, itself, which they then made freely available in the USB 4 license. So that's why it was so hard to get Thunderbolt devices is because you had to have a special licensing agreement with Intel to use only their chips to build out the Thunderbolt device. So now that Intel no longer has the chains on that, and they probably saw the writing on the wall uh, when Apple kind of was doing like 
an excellent job at making their own chips on mobile devices yeah. that uh, they're probably going to be forced to kind of make this decision as uh, the co-creators of it. Um, so I don't know the exact reasons why the changes were made, but I would think that Apple probably influenced it a ton because they eventually wanted to make their own computers that didn't rely on something they couldn't have anymore once they uh, ditched Intel for good. Um, so that one is a code completion. Now let's go to number two, which you also both agree on. So much like Thunderbolt 3, demonstration versions of Lightpeak used a modified USB port. So it was a USB-A port uh, that they kind of used. And that's because Thunderbolt 1 only had two um, two channels, bidirectional channels, uh, that it could go ahead and use. And that's how they got 10 gigabits per second um, on that. So all you really needed was the four pins on a USB port uh, for the most part, even though it was not speaking USB uh, at all. Uh, but it was two USB ports with little uh, fiber blinky thingies uh, and a fiber cable uh, in between to kind of link it up. And it was a 30 meter cable and they're showing, hey, you can have two HD streams. This is back in early 10s. Uh, two HD streams uh, going at the same time. And that was uh, considered impressive back then. Uh, and they <laughs> said, this is a technology that can, where it's currently a 10 gigabits, but it can go all the way up to 100 gigabits. Um, and that will be uh, exciting when it comes. And I think like with USB 4, we're nearly there uh, in one direction, which is super neat. Uh, so with that said, uh, let's go on to number if, one. I don't know if I want you to keep going. <laughs> My heart can't take it anymore. <laughs> uh, which Fernando thinks might be the compiler error. So USB 4 consolidates various USB transfer modes introduced over the years. So as you know, USB 3, and at least to many people's understanding, uh, is an absolute mess. Uh, hot garbage all over the place there in terms of what kind of cable do you need to use uh, with your USB-C connector. Um, like taking away Thunderbolt, even from that equation, just the USB standard is a total mess. Um, and Thunderbolt just makes it more complicated. Um, so uh, what USB 4 does is absolutely uh, base itself on the Thunderbolt 3 protocol, which is able to switch protocols freely. And it just makes use of its ability to have high bandwidth connectivity between the two uh, sides. The host support, so this means the computer that is the like front of the chain of devices, uh, does not need to support Thunderbolt devices if it is USB 4 compatible. Uh, so sorry, Fernando. Uh, this is a code completion because uh, just like <laughs> signing off. <laughs> Like on the Mac, on the new M1 computers, Apple actually clarified this is a Thunderbolt 3 slash USB 4 port, which means that it can support Thunderbolt 3, even though it's a USB 4 port, which does not have mm. uh, support like natively for all Thunderbolt devices. Though if something is USB 4 compatible, it can use Thunderbolt and be compatible with those devices. But like it doesn't need to like bring on the older devices, Thunderbolt 1, 2, and 3 uh, along for the ride. So it is better and more um, clear, but not entirely, because that was a pretty con- that was a pretty confusing yeah. description that you just gave. <laughs> it was like, well, that's least a simplified version? At least we're not at the point where it's like USB 3.2 Gen 2x2, and <laughs> oh, it's like, what, what yeah. does this even so mean? So actually, there's a USB 4... 40 gigabits per second, and there's also USB 4 20 gigabits oh, of course per there is. second. 
<laughs> is that so, like based on like the cable length or is it it's based different? on the amount of channels basically so how oh, many okay. cables you are interacting with and like how fancy are your chips on the inside do they need active modulation in the chip in the cable itself or can you be lazy about it and just have a direct connect copper connection mm. but but at least it isn't like before right where whereas a few no. years ago i remember reading like please don't plug in anything that you don't know right like yeah you might fry something your, because you'll fry your yeah. computer right it can like at least it's oh i'm yeah. at 20 gigabytes yeah it, it knows 40. about it and it will say no at this point so it's, it's a little safer but you're still gonna have to pay attention when you buy cables is this a usb 420 is this a usb 440 mm. uh does this computer support thunderbolt does this support computers support the faster 40 speed all of that is kind of up in the air so uh, that's probably why we have Apple's naming of like this is Thunderbolt three slash USB four supported. Yeah. Now Thunderbolt four is the one that kind of says everything needs to be checked. Like no ifs ands or buts. If you support Thunderbolt four, you support everything under the sun, um, and you're kind of safe to go there. So and that's kind of like what Thunderbolt has been up until now. It just supports everything. Uh, you have power delivery. You have, like USB C does not always support power delivery. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. USB four makes that like non-optional anymore. Hey, you got to support power delivery at this point, mm-hmm. um, which is the charging of things via USB. So will Thunderbolt uh, Thunderbolt four be the end all be all connection that we've been hoping for until Thunderbolt five? <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. So enough stalling. No, but enough so, stalling. Like, Let's get to the part where we acknowledge who won this particular round. No, of- no <laughs> I, I need to know more about this uh, mm-hmm. host support. So, so it's unfortunate, Fernando, that you have such a contrarian personality <laughs> because you could have swept me completely. It was so close. So close. Uh, but... Uh, Thunderbolt 1, 2, and 3 uh, all support 6 Daisy chain devices, so you're right for the wrong reason, Spencer. Um, okay, and that's fine. I don't know why it's limited to 6, it just is, probably in terms of like bandwidth and reasonable like power support down the chain. Um, but uh, Thunderbolt 4 uh, makes the promise that, hey, you can have hubs of Thunderbolt devices, so you can go ahead and turn one port into several downstream ports instead of just Having a Thunderbolt device with an in and an out, even though the in and out can be either port, uh, you're still kind of limited to having those two ports, one that's connected to the host computer and one that's connected to a downstream daisy chain device. So uh, Thunderbolt 4 says that USB hubs are supported, but Thunderbolt 3 also supports USB hubs. uh, Sorry, Thunderbolt hubs. And the first Thunderbolt hub that is actually coming out is OWC's, um, I don't remember what it's called, uh, but they have they have a device that's coming out in like a week uh, where you can plug one into your Thunderbolt port and now you have three more Thunderbolt ports, like fully, fully capable ones, and it works with existing Thunderbolt devices. It's not limited to the USB 4 uh, M1 Mac Minis or MacBook Airs or MacBook Pros. This will work on your existing Thunderbolt 3 capable computer. Um, so that's really, really so cool. All those, all those Amazons uh, and... are just people who are like, I want a Thunderbolt hub, and then they, you, you get like things that are that are a yeah. hub but are not a Thunderbolt hub, right? It's like turn a, exactly. hub, a Thunderbolt into like SD and USB and uh, HDMI. It's like I okay, I, I get that. I don't want that. I want all these things. I don't yeah, want. like I want more USB ports, <laughs> yeah. so, right? More Thunderbolt ports. So that's cool. That that's finally happening. It only took what we've had Thunderbolt for yeah. several years now. 
nice that it's finally uh, coming to fruition. And it seems like the first version of Thunderbolts supported this in in terms of the protocol, but we just didn't have chip support from Intel because they're the only ones making these controller chips that would be capable of actually multiplexing several devices all coming into one uh, to kind of get that working. It was only kind of, here's a more simplistic device that will take any incoming traffic and just fold that into my own traffic, and that's why we have two right. ports. So this is the first mm-hmm. one that can kind of uh, multitask in that regard. So cool. great job to two of you. Sorry, Fernando. Could have been three, but you had to be. <laughs> Can you win just them all. Had to, yeah. just had to go a different <laughs> way, didn't you? I have no one to blame but Dimitri. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Were you the one that said, I have to cover my bases? Yeah. We shouldn't be let, dwelling let, in let's the check, past. Let's check the uh, tape. Okay, I, I that's fair. That's recording fair. this. We can probably go look. <laughs> I can just repeat it a couple times, make sure everyone <laughs> is, is sure of your decision. I have my tweet ready. Like, this is the worst code completion ever. <laughs> yeah, I demand a week <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you should Too just, soon. you should know. What you should do is you should just tweet when we post this. You should tweet, I won by a lot. That's what you should tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will definitely be doing that. I no, you, you need to tweet that now, yeah, actually. True. And then yeah. we need to, it'll be for, for when people listen that they'll, yeah. uh, they'll learn the truth. <laughs> when it comes out, it'll the, be like, whoa, where did this new code completion come from? The one where I was in, I won that one. Yeah, I'm going to do then that right now. <laughs> I'll make sure to comment other sources yeah. uh, refute this, <laughs> this claim. This claim is disputed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love you guys. Thank you. Perfect. (laughs) So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Uh, Do check our show notes because we have a few more uh, promo codes uh, hiding in there for the the quick and the furious typers that can type promo codes into the App Store uh, absolutely quickly. I never win, so I'm always jealous of all of you. (laughs) If you can (laughs) hear it in my voice. Uh, but be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter at Code Completion uh, to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd like us to dig into uh, more. So more importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the app development process. It's your support that really enables us to continue doing this. Uh, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter. Ben, who is at Fair Sky. That's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter. And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. I just tweeted at you guys. Oh, is that best, what the notification the was? The best compiler error ever. <laughs> I totally won, and by a large margin. Some say the largest margin Dimitri has ever seen. I'm sure Sky and Spencer Curtis will say that I lost. Sad. Thanks to the great podcast code completion for this win. That is... I'm, I'm retweeting that right now. That is...